Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Slumworld, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And we're going to do things just a little bit differently today. Bad news to wake up to this morning, Diva, and late last night. People of Cebu have been told if they're going to stay in the city, then they're going to stay in the city. They've got until Friday if they want to leave to the province, and they're going to go under full lockdown again starting Friday. Already there are military men in the streets enforcing the lockdown. Um, they have the highest uh, incidence of COVID right now. I mean, this is this is difficult. These are our Kababayan. This is difficult. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thought the worst of this thing was over and things were beginning to move toward better. Father, this is a plague that sticks. And whereas your word says we are redeemed, Lord, we pray for mercy for our nation. We pray for your grace and your mercy. God, you are a God of great mercy. You are a God of incredible, boundless, infinite mercy. Lord, we ask in mercy for our nation. The economy is in shambles, Father. Businessmen are struggling. The jeepney drivers are giving up hope. Father, government's out of money. Lord, we ask for a miracle. We ask for a miracle, and we ask that you do it in a way that every human being in this nation will know that it was God. Father, we ask for a miracle, a miracle of mercy upon our nation. Father, in the name of Jesus, in your mercy, in your mercy, Lord, touch our nation. We cry out for mercy, Lord. It's the one cry we know that you always hear. We cry for mercy for our nation, for mercy for our Kababayan. Father, in the name of Jesus, in your mercy, heal our land, Lord. In your mercy, let this COVID thing just die. Let it mutate into something that is just harmless. Father, but do it in a way that only you get the glory for. Do it in a way, Father, that no one looks at a man and no one looks at science. Nobody puts their faith in science anymore. They put their faith in you. Oh, great Jehovah, God of abounding faithfulness, God of abounding love, God whose mercy is new every morning, have mercy upon our land. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord together this morning.
I'm going to do a few things a little differently today. We'll pick up with the kids at their recitations again tomorrow. For all of our members in Cebu, please allow me to read Psalms 91 today just for you. You must have been greatly discouraged this week. But I want you to remember, God is with you. It will be well with you. When this is finished, all these things will have worked together and done something really good. You just can't see that yet. And I know these these things almost sound trite right now compared to the cloud of discouragement that has come over you. But I want you to remember that God is the God of eternal encouragement. God will lift your head. God will make a way where there is no way. It will be well with you. So for all of our members in Cebu, Psalms 91, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Did you hear that, Sabu? He will deliver you. He will, not he might. He will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes, and you will see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Did you hear that? Sabu, right now, you have to just decide, I'm going to live in God. You know the scriptures from Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. You know all of Jesus' teaching from John chapter 15, that as I am in the Father and the Father is in me, so you are in me. You know all of that, but you have to choose. I'm going to live my life in God. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adler, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Sabu, do you love him? Do you love him? It's just a simple question. Do you love him? Well, yes, Pastor. If you hold fast to him in love, he makes a promise. I will deliver you. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I want to ask all of our members in Manila today to spend 15 or 20 minutes just praying for our people in Cebu. Can you imagine what would, how we would feel if after getting out of our houses, starting to get back to work, starting to live our life. I mean, we're, we're far from normal, but we're, we're beginning. Can you imagine being told total lockdown like it was for, for how many months? Where only one member of the family can leave, all quarantine passes taken away. Can you imagine how we would feel? Yeah, we know exactly how we would feel. 
So spend 15 or 20 minutes in prayer today, praying for Cebu, praying for our, our, our members in Cebu, praying for their businesses, praying for those who, like many of us, no work, no pay. God has provided and pray for them. Sometimes you get your attention off of yourself and get yourself onto somebody else. And that's basically what I'm, I'm not just asking, I'm begging you today. And can I ask that we just, we spend time in prayer every day for the mercy of God on our land. This, this thing has gone on too long. This is just, and it, there's things that just aren't logical. I mean, this, there's nothing logical about this thing. There's nothing that makes sense about this thing. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day. They've only had 18 people die in their whole nation, and they're going under lockdown again. Only 18 people have died in the whole nation. 4,000 died of flu this year, but only 18 have died of COVID-19, and they're locking the whole nation down again. Sometimes the logic of this thing, I just don't comprehend. There's a spiritual element. There's, there's a plague stalking in the darkness, in this season of darkness. We need, we need to pray. I know we've been praying, but we need to pray. We need to, to redouble our efforts in prayer. In Jesus' name. All right, we've got a testimony for you today. Brother Jung. Ako po tiga Viva Home sa Lawag, Home Clinic. Gusto ko lang po i-share sa inyo ang goodness ni God. Wala nang makilala ko si God sa buhay namin ay maraming nagtawin. Maraming blessing ang dumating sa aming buhay, sa aking pamilya. Tulad itong pandemic nito na nagkaroon ng lockdown ng March 16, masyado akong nag-alala bilang isang ama. Hindi po alam kung paano ko ipagkakasayin yung pera na meron ako sa goodness ni God, sa mga pinangahawakan ko sa Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 tandaan mo ang bilin ko magpakatatag ka at nakasan mo ang iyong loob huwag kang matatakot mawawala ng pag-asa sapagkat ako si Yahweh ang iyong Diyos kasama mo saan ka man magpunta anong napag-usapan namin ng aking bahay Uh, kung paano namin na pangangailangan namin sa araw-araw. Kapag-isipan namin na magsinda kami ng uh, merienda. Sa goodness ni God, sa araw-araw ng aming pagtitinda ng aming uh, merienda, laging gusto. Matiran man siya isa, isang piraso. That is good talaga. Talagang hindi niya kami pinabayaan. God is a great provider. Every day I hear the testimonies, and sometimes Sister Bev and I sit around here in the evenings and preview many of them at night, and we're just amazed at the faithfulness of God. And you know, everybody likes to hear about the great big ones. But you know what? When there's no food on the table, and God gives you an idea, and you start cooking food and selling it and something you've never done before, and you've got food on the table for your family, that is a great miracle. That is a great miracle. Amen. Well, I'm going to take a lot of time today. Oh, yeah, now I'm going to start here. I'm going to take a great deal of time today just in the book of Acts. So I will warn you in advance. Check my time here. I will warn you in advance. We probably will not get the Old Testament passage today because there's some things in here that we just need to spend some time on today.
important things. Now, I want you to read the Old Testament passage. It is a beautiful summary of genealogies. And there's some great truths there, like the first man who's called a mighty man in the Bible. There's some great truths back there. But let's pick up today in Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 8. Now, Paul has been in Antioch, got kicked out of Antioch. He's been in Iconium and kind of got kicked out of Iconium. Paul spent a lot of time getting kicked out of cities, but you notice he always left a church. And now there's something that you got to just get a hold of. Paul spent a lot of time getting kicked out of cities, but he always left a church. That's something that we have to learn to do. Now at Lystra, this is the next city in the Galatian Peninsula area. Now Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. All right, so everybody knew this guy. This is a grown man now. Everybody knew this guy. They'd seen him all their lives. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Now, let's just park there for just a moment. How could Paul see this man had faith? Paul looked intently at him. But how can you see faith? Now, I don't have all the answers for that, but I have a piece of one. He listened to Paul speaking. He listened. You can tell when somebody's really listening. As a pastor, when I'm preaching, I can look at people and I can tell when people are really, they're dialed in. I mean, they're tuned right into every single word. And you can look at other people that are just daydreaming, thinking lots of other thoughts, because you can think how much faster, what, three, four times faster than you can speak. There are many people that are so busy thinking their own thoughts that they're, they're really not tuned in. But you can tell when somebody is really tuned in. You know what I'm talking about. I think that's a piece of the answer. And so as we begin to do crusades and we begin to pray for the sick in crusades and we begin to see now, who should I spend my time on ministering at the altar after this time? whether it's in a truck crusade here in Manila or in one of our provincial crusades. Start watching who's really paying attention, who is really dialed in, who's really just tuned in, listening to every single word, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So there's a piece of the answer. So when we start talking about how do you recognize people who have faith for a miracle, look at who's really dialed in and listening. Now, if this guy had been playing with a cell phone, well, there were no cell phones then, Pastor, but you know what I mean. If this guy had been playing with a cell phone, if this guy had been counting his money, if this guy had been watching everybody else who's going to give me some money because he's a beggar, watching the crowd, who, who can I make eye contact with to get money? If this guy had been focused on his begging, there would have been no miracle that day. But he dialed in and he listened. So in Crusades, watch for the people that are really dialed in and listening to the word. Verse 10, and he said in a loud voice, Paul didn't, please, would you stand up? I don't want to embarrass myself, so would you please stand up? In a loud voice, Paul didn't care who heard. In a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. He gave a command of faith. Now, that's a tremendous truth. People get healed as they obey a command of faith, a heart with faith responds to a command of faith, and a miracle happens. Let me say that again. 
A heart full of faith responds to a command of faith, and that's when a miracle begins to happen. He sprang up and began walking. Now, to me, that's that's more than just a miracle. That that's that's more than a miracle. A man who has never walked, he begins to walk. Forgive me, he didn't have the coordination to walk. You you don't just begin walking. Look at how a baby has to learn to walk, how they have to balance, how they have to coordinate their muscles. So th- this is more than just a simple miracle. This is God getting the attention of a city. This guy stood up and began to walk. No therapy. Okay. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, say in, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, Paul and Barnabas had no clue what these people were saying, because they were speaking in their native language. Barnabas they called Zeus, because he kind of stood back and just watched, very dignified. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So Paul is obviously very much the one who's out in front of people saying the things that need to be said. We'll come back to that later. And a priest of Zeus, whose temple, now this is one of the Roman gods, okay? The priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. They wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, and notice now we have Barnabas and Paul, because in their minds, these people, Barnabas is the quiet one who stands back and kind of gives directions, and Paul is the one who's out there doing the work. See, in in ancient culture, the higher rank you were, the less you did. (laughs) Okay, I'll, I'll leave that one for you to meditate on for a while. Men. Why are you doing these things? We, now notice Barnabas a part of this, we are also men of like nature of you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Now, both of them are shouting at everybody, both of them, because, my goodness, you don't, want to, you don't want to touch the glory. I mean, Paul and Barnabas were not men to touch the glory. Now, folks, you got to understand, I've been around healing crusades almost since I got born again. There are two kinds of people who do healing crusades, people who are in it for the glory and people who are in it for Jesus. Now, the, the ones that are in it for the glory, it's all about this is what I did, this is what I did. It's all the attention is on them. This was not Paul or Barnabas. They did not want to touch the glory. They did not want to look like they were something other than exactly what they were, men like everybody else there. Okay? They, there was no desire. We we are also a men of like nature with you. He said, listen, we're not anything better than you. And this is what a, a leader has to keep in his heart. When God begins to do miracles with you, you can never touch the glory. You should turn from these vain things. It's vain to worship Zeus. Empty, meaningless, that accomplishes nothing. And so turn to a living God. Now, here's the great difference between God and everything else. God's a living God. Now, people are always talking about bowing down to statues and worshiping this and worshiping that. You know, you go through the Old Testament and Isaiah just makes fun of them. You got to take your statue out for a walk. You got to take your idol out for a walk. How can it help you if you have to take it for a walk and you have to carry it? How can it help you? I mean, Isaiah just pokes fun at it all. Now, Paul and Barnabas say, he's a living God. 
This is the difference between God and idolatry. God is alive. And he does things. I mean, he does things. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. All right? Who is the creator? God. Now, again, this evolutionary doctrine that, that people push so much in the world today, push in the universities and say, you know, either you're a man of science or you're a man of faith. Well, I, I'm a man of science, but I'm even more a man of faith. When they say, believe the science, how much have we heard that during COVID-19? Believe the science. You have to trust the science. You have to believe the science. And it's always wrong. Have you ever noticed? God never fails us. God never forsakes us. God's never wrong. But the science is often wrong. So sometimes I look at my brethren who say, you know, you have to believe. You have to believe in evolution. Well, how, how did you get from this stage to this stage? Well, you know, we think, we, we believe. Well, I think it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in a creator. Young people, Hebrews 11 is very clear. By faith, we understand how the worlds were made. Young people, you know, I, I've got friends who, who specialize in uh, the doctrine of creationism. And, you know, you can find lots of great websites where you can study it and, and, and see how the science proves that God is the creator. Bottom line, it's a thing of faith. We believe that God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, <laughs> I have to admit, during this COVID-19 thing, I said, God, I just don't understand. Why did you create viruses? I, I know that they've been corrupted, and I know that when you created, everything was good, and so all bacteria was good, and I understand the purposes of good bacteria, but I don't understand the purpose of a virus. Well, then I started reading an article the other day in one of the science magazines online, and it was talking about how viruses help control fungi growth and, and fungal fungal growth and how viruses control bacterial growth in the oceans. And, you know, you begin to see this whole world is fearfully and wonderfully made, not, not just our human bodies. God created everything good. It's sin that has corrupted. So, you know, again, I believe in creation. I believe that God created everything to be good. Things have been perverted a little since then. In the past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Now, I told you we were going to take some time in this because these are some fundamental truths that we need to get straight when it comes to talking to unbelievers and understanding the unbeliever mentality. In the past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He allows. Did you notice God does not dominate? You know, domination has become very popular in the Christian world today. And it's not done anymore by, you know, big yelling, screaming stuff. It's, it's done very subtly. It's a, a disciple or a connect group leader who makes you confess their sins to them every week. And like it or not, psychologically, they control you. It's going to uh, a special weekend after you get saved. And the person sitting across the table at you says, you know, you, you, you need to be free from your sins. So you'll never be free until they get out into the light. So you need to confess your sins to me. What are the worst things that you've ever done? 
Well, from that person forward, from that day forward, that person owns you. You'll, you'll never act the same around that person. Whatever that person asks, you do. Subconsciously, at some level, you know they can destroy you. They're dominating you. This is why I teach you, don't, don't ever confess your sins to anybody but God. Well, the Bible says, Pastor, confess your sins to one another. Confession there, homo legea, means to agree with, to say the same thing as. It doesn't mean to list or to enumerate. When you sin against somebody, you go and you say, yes, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. That's agreement. You don't sit down and say, let me give you a list of all the things I've ever done wrong. See, God doesn't dominate you. And you, you've got to get that into your insides. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. He said, listen, I'm not going to control you. you. You have to be with me because you want to be with me. Now, now, the difference between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the sun is just that. Sin demands conformity. You can always tell sin. Sin demands conformity. God says, you know what? You want to be like that? Go ahead. He said, you don't want to be around me? Fine. That's God. You have to be with God because you love him, not because he's dominating you. God does not want robots. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. But now notice, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. God said, I'm always going to have something around to remind you of how wonderful I am. He said, you can go your own way. Door works both ways. Don't let it hit you on the way out, you know. You can, you can go your own way. But he says, I've always left a witness. He said, I did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. He said, I sent rain on your land so that your crops grew. And he said, I gave you fruitful seasons. I gave you seasons of great abundance, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. <laughs> See, God said, I didn't just take care of you physically. He said, I took care of your soul. He said, I knew what your soul needed. Your soul needed food, and your soul needed gladness. So God said, I, I did these things for you. Now, you have to understand, I, I hear so many Christians today saying, why doesn't God destroy that person? Why doesn't God judge that person? We sound like James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus, that village doesn't accept you. Shall we call down thunder and lightning from heaven upon them? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Because that's not what he's like. God does not force you to do anything. He tells you to do things, but your obedience is up to you. But he says, you know, even when you walk away from me, and even when you disobey me, even when you reject me, God says, um, I'm going to leave a witness. And what is that witness? My goodness. Remember, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Now you're beginning to see how important this is. So I, I challenge you as you go out and evangelize, there are going to be people who receive the message with joy. And there are going to be other people that don't want anything to do with it. Don't get mad at them. Don't hate them. God still has his witness in their lives. He's still doing good to them. Why? <laughs> because that's what he is. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So Paul and Barnabas are both now involved. They're, they're stopping the idolatry. Now take it a step further. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So 
maybe a day or so later. These are the cities that they'd been thrown out of. In both of these cities, the Jews had turned crowds against Paul and Barnabas. And, persuade, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Where's Barnabas? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Where's Barnabas? And also the question, how can you flip a crowd that fast? Well, folks, that's, that's, human, that's the fickleness of the human heart. One day, they want to worship them as gods. A couple of days later, they, they want to kill them. It is amazing how people can turn the hearts of people. Now, let me just throw this out at you. You have to be very careful that you don't let other people change your heart. Because other people's words can change your heart. Persuaded the crowds. They're people who come with very persuasive presentations. Not true either. Everything they would have said against Paul was a lie. But again, we come back to the question, where was Barnabas? See, Paul would have been, Paul would have been Paul. He would have been out there challenging these people, saying what needed to be said. Barnabas was an encourager. That's who Barnabas is. You need both in the church. And, you know, you just need to understand that. We need the Barnabases, the sons of encouragement, that just go around and be nice to everybody. But you also need the Pauls if you're going to get anything done. Now, straight up, Barnabas is not a good guy to have at your side in a fight. Because that's just not how they're built. They're built to be encouragers. Paul was not built to be an encourager, though he did encourage. Paul was built to be Paul the man who would do what needed to be done to get the work of God done. And so he's out there facing these guys. And the next thing you know, they've stoned him. Now, usually people die with stoning. They stoned him and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city on the next day. He went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, all of a sudden, Barnabas is back. But during the stoning, Barnabas isn't around. Now, please forgive me. When the apostles stood up on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up, the eleven stood with him. When you are mates in ministry, when you are partners in ministry, you stand together. Good times and bad times. Barnabas should have been standing right at his side when he was getting stoned. That's what partners in the ministry do. Barnabas isn't built that way. You don't get mad at a Barnabas because he's not built that way. You just understand that's how a Barnabas is built. And you thank God that they're encouragers. I mean, he also did things that others would not do. Like he went and got Paul and trusted Paul when nobody else did and introduced him to the apostles of Jerusalem. So we, we need both kinds of people in the church. And sometimes in church, we really like the Barnabases. But if everybody was a Barnabas, we'd never break new ground and we'd never get things done and there would be no stands taken. We need the Pauls and we need the Barnabases. Now, they gathered around him. The crowds have left. They stoned him. Everybody thinks he's dead. 
So they all leave. And now the, the disciples gather around. Paul stands up. And I want you to notice what he does. He enters the city. He walks right back in. He walks right back into that city. See, this is a Paul. He's not scared of anything. You've stoned me. You thought I was dead. My demise has been overrated, folks. Here I am. And he walks right back into the city. Walks right back. See, it's, it's not like you could walk in like Manila. I mean, there's a city gate. He walks right back through the city gate, right back in front of the authorities that had taken him out and stoned him. Walks right back through. And the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, he spends the night. You say, why did he spend the night, Pastor? Number one, he's not afraid. And number two, you know what? If the stones don't kill you, they hurt a lot. Okay, you're going to have some, some really bad bruises. You're going to probably have a concussion. You're going to have a lot of stitches. I mean, you, you've got some healing to do. But Paul goes on and continues his ministry. This is Paul. See, Paul, you're just not going to stop the guy. He's just, he's just got a holy stubbornness on his insides that no matter what his body is doing, He's been stoned. He's got horrible bruises and cuts all over his body, probably a concussion. So he gets up and goes on the next day. When they preach the gospel in that city, so they go down there and preach the gospel in Derby. You know, Paul, you really ought to be more careful in these Gentile areas. You know, Paul, they, they, they can get really fickle and kill you. He, it doesn't stop him. He preaches the gospel in that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra. They go right back to where he's stoned. Okay, so they go on, they preach to the next city in Derby. When they finish in Derby, they make many disciples. They go back to Lystra again. Paul said, I'm not going to be scared to go into this city because of what people did to me. This is, this is Paul. Now, I, I, I feel like this whole thing today, I'm talking to some very straight people today that, that need to hear this. He returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. He goes right back into these places. They've got strong churches already beginning to grow, but these are places that all rejected him, tried to kill him, threw him out of town with persecution. He goes right back in again. You see, sometimes people allow fear to stop them from fruitful ministry. And some of you pastors and some of you Christian leaders, I mean, please forgive me. You've, you've been in a place and they threw you out, and so you think, ah, I'm not going to go there anymore. Why? Paul went right back into the same places. Now notice what he did when he went back through those churches. He strengthened the soul of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. So he strengthens their souls. Now, now he's not doing crusades. Now he's into growing the believers. He's strengthening the soul of the disciples. Now, there are times when we go into a situation and we are there for evangelism. And that's what Paul was doing the first pass. But now as he goes back through there, he goes in with a different purpose. He's not out doing crusades and evangelism. The souls of the disciples, because they're going to have to live there through all these people that hate them. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith. People need this. I mean, please forgive me. You wonder why people turn away from God today. There's not enough people teaching people to continue in the faith. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And now notice what he's saying. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. Now, please forgive me. You cannot always have your best life now. And that's nothing against Joel. His daddy was a mentor of mine and an incredible man of God. 
But there are people that have taken slogans like that, and they've made it look like, you know, it's 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 all about a wonderful, easy life as a Christian. That, you know, everything is wonderful, and everything is easy, and everything is beautiful. And it's not. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many challenges, problems, and trials. So sometimes, folks, you, you've got to sit down and get real with people and say, take off your rose-colored glasses and understand that living the Christian life is not going to necessarily be the easiest life there is. It is the best life, but it's not necessarily the easiest life. It's not, a, it's not living in a beautiful garden paradise. Now, when we get to heaven, it'll be wonderful. But on earth, folks, it's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, so they put leadership in all the churches, with fasting and prayer, okay, they, they did not put leaders in church, just, okay, let's make a decision. Now, who looks like they're a good talker? Uh, who's got charisma? Uh, who has influence? Um, no, it was by prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, Paul said, we're committing you to the Lord. Why? Because you're the one who believed in him. You have put your faith in him. Now, now, people have to understand, leaders come and go. Paul said, listen, I'm going. You're going to be all right without me. I commit you to the Lord in whom you have believed. Paul said, you didn't put your faith in me. You put your faith in the Lord. Now, again, you know, in, in modern Christianity, everything is about the leader, and I need my leader, and I need my leader, and I need... No, you don't need us. It's nice that we get to be a part of your life, but you put your faith in the Lord. And our role as pastors is to commit you to the one in whom you have believed. You haven't believed in us. You believe in him. Now take it a step farther. Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, now notice, spoken the word, they didn't just give their testimonies, they spoke the word, they went down through Italia. Now they're coming down that great mountain plateau. And, when they had, and then from there they sailed to Antioch. So now they've gone home. So it's kind of like if this is Antioch, they came across the Cyprus, they came up, they went up the mountain to Galatia, then they crossed the Galatian plateau, then they came back down, and then they sailed back. Okay, so they kind of made a, a little bit of a circular route. And they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. Now notice, they were committed to the grace of God for the work they had now fulfilled. They had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. Now, that is one of the most amazing verses for ministry in the Bible. A local church committed Paul and Barnabas to the grace of God. I can't think of anything better to be committed to. We are entrusting you to the grace of God for the work they had now fulfilled. Paul had finished a project. One trip. It was done. It was a stopping point. He didn't know what was next. He didn't know that he would do this many more times. He'd 
gone out on a mission. He'd been committed to the grace of God to do this work by the local church. And now he came back to where he started because the work was fulfilled. This was Paul's home church. Paul's home church committed him to the grace of God, commended him to the grace of God, and he came back to his home church now when the work was finished. This church was Paul's home church that he based out of for most of his life. He goes on, and when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They gathered all the members together, and they declared all that God had done with them. They reported all that God had done with them, and now they had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Wow. Now, you might not have gotten too many praise the Lord if you'd stood in Jerusalem at this time and, and given that testimony, but in a Gentile and Jewish church, which is what Antioch was, and really the greatest church in the world at that time, you got a lot of praise the Lord's. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Another translation says they stayed there a long time. Now, this was Paul's home church. He had been called to be one of the leaders. He taught them. He represented them going to Jerusalem. He now represents this local church as they go out and they start other local churches. I mean, this is what he did. He went out and built other local churches. He, he didn't just go around and build the Paul and Barnabas Apostolic Ministries Incorporated. He, he went out and established churches. He didn't go out and build himself. He went out and built churches, established churches with their own leaders. This is what Paul did. Now he comes back to his own local church. I, I wanted to, to spend time on this today because you saw several super important truths there about ministry and about leadership and about our future as a church at COP. All those years ago, 40 years ago, I began to teach you about the importance of a local church. And we need to make sure that we focus on that. And maybe we need to change our efforts as we do our provincial crusades. And what we need to be doing is not just going in and doing a crusade, but actually opening a church every crusade, we go in and we open a church, as well as fill up the churches of other pastors. Please, we always want to help these pastors in the province. These, these are the unsung heroes of our nation. But we need to start churches. So again, I'm praying for a generation of young people who will rise up and like the apostles say, we have left everything to follow you, who will rise up and say, Jesus, I'm a person of sacrifice. I know nothing great can ever be built without sacrifice. I'm talking to young people who are willing to sacrifice, to go out and build churches, to go where nobody else wants to go. Places where you look around and you go, man, there's no money here. Yeah, but they're souls. I mean, please, they're souls. <laughs> it's like, you know, even in the 80s, people would come to me and Sister Bev and say, why are you wasting your life here in the Philippines? There's no money here. We never came here for money. We came here for souls. People were hungry for Jesus. But God has been good to us. Yeah, see, we've prospered a lot slower than everybody else. But you know what? That's fine. God's been good to us. We put in sacrifice. Young people, I'm begging you. God is no man's debtor. In this life, you'll reap a hundredfold. But first, you've got to put in the sacrifice. First, you've got to leave everything. Let's open up our hearts in worship. And 
Now make sure you read through our passage in First Chronicles chapter 1, about the first half of chapter 2 today. It's one of these beautiful little review chapters that you can allow your mind to wander on as you read the names and you remember the stories that we've read earlier in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and First and Second Kings. Beautiful review chapter, but there's some tremendous truths and there's some cute little additions I won't get into today that they, they let you know who was who and who, who gave birth to who and who's related to who, and there's some great things in there. Let me pray for you again. I'm praying for a thousand preachers to come up out of this, a thousand new pastors. Pastor, that's a big prayer request. Yeah. I'm praying for a thousand pastors to build churches across this nation. There's a call of God upon your life. You get in touch with us. We want to help train you. Now, some of you are going to be overseas, and we'll get this new Zoom Bible college working for you and, and help train you right where you are. Yes, there'll be exams, and our exams might be harder for you, I warn you in advance, okay? But we want to train you. We want, we want you to become a fisher of men, not just start doing the ministry. But you need to go through the training so that you change on the inside out. Father, I pray for all the young men and the young women men of sacrifice, women of sacrifice, not people who have an entitlement attitudes, not people who want an easy road, but people who are willing to be Pauls, people who are willing to go break ground, people who are willing to say the things that need to be said. Father, in Jesus' name, raise up a whole new generation. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.